couple of special episodes coming in January to celebrate. Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot of prohibition, flappers, speakeasies, you know, bathtub gin. Club. Yep, we're doing our first book club. That will be, I don't think we've announced it anywhere. We talked about it last episode, yeah. but we haven't picked the first book yet. Yeah, so we know that it's going to be the last week in January. So yes. the, the whatever the last Friday of, of January is, is when we'll have the first one. We're narrowed down to a couple of topics right now, and a lot of the bookstores are sold out because of the holidays. Mm-hmm. So we're waiting to pick one that we really want to do, rather than just picking from what we you know what we have yeah. access to. Mm-hmm. It'll be worth the wait. But we do have a couple of ideas for book club. It's going to be every other month. Mm-hmm. So that way, if people want to read along, um, it gives you you know more time to read along. It's, yeah. it's we're, we're fast tough readers, to sneak, yeah. so it's tough to sneak in reading if you work a lot, if you have a big family. You know, if you have th- something keeping you from being able to read, it's it's Any tough. adulting, really. Yeah, pretty much, basically. <laughs> so that'll be fun. What we'll do is, so whenever it's a book club episode, we'll have read the book. So then we'll have a discussion about it. We're going to write down quotes we liked and ask each other questions about it. And then we're each going to take a corner of that triangle and use our time to tell stories connected to the books. Yeah. So, actually, no, why don't we just pick right now? Why don't we just do um, the American Horror Story one as the first one? Okay. Because um, then we, because we were really excited about Nellie Bly. Yes. Who was the pen name. She was a uh, woman working for a newspaper company. She was, yeah, Ma- she magazine, was a journalist. journalist. Yeah. I can't remember. But um, she went undercover into an, um, an institution and used that experience to write a very well-known book and was kind of the catalyst for a lot of change in the mental health industry. So she's a really great person to focus on when you're talking about this kind of stuff. That's a good starter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's it's very short. It's called 10 Days in a Madhouse. It's public domain, so you can buy it from anybody who reprints it. We got our copies for five bucks a piece. Mm -hmm. Um, She also, oddly, enough went on after that to go and be the first woman to sail around the world i remember you saying that. yeah isn't that so strange like it just seemed it contrasted so much with getting yourself locked up in an institution yes but you know she might have needed a little bit of a pick-me-up now that i think about it but yeah she makes a really intriguing character yeah so that'll just be part of it and then we'll review the book and then kale's going to talk about the three seasons of american horror story Yes. That we picked. And then I'm going to talk more about the history behind the people and real life places and events that they used as inspiration. In case anybody is confused, the connection there is because one of the seasons of American Horror Story. Asylum, yeah. Asylum, yeah. Um, Sarah Paulson's character yes. is based off of her. Yes. Yeah, she goes yeah. undercover yeah. into the asylum. Yeah. And yeah. there's obviously a lot more that happens in that season, but that's what so we're going to. That's what we're mostly going to focus on. And then you're going to talk to us about the season. And it'll be yep. a, a recap for people who have watched 
watched it. And then if you haven't watched it, um, but you read the book because you like the idea of doing the book club, she'll mm-hmm. be able you'll be able to give people a you know, a good summary yeah, of absolutely. why we picked those seasons. Yes. So we picked Asylum. Yep. And then we picked Hotel. Hotel, one of my favorites. Gaga. And then Co- Coven? Was it Coven or Murder House? No, it wasn't Murder House. Cause remember, we're doing the research on Madame Leilori. Oh, right. Yes. And yes, the Voodoo Coven. Queen yep. and everything. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, actually, I think we accidentally picked four seasons because at one point we were looking at talking about Roanoke, too. Oh, that's I can true. always slip that in there because um, I did some recent research on it, actually, mm-hmm. and it's not quite as, like, spooky as we think. I don't think there was a lot mm-hmm. going on at the time that could easily explain how the colony disappeared. Oh. Um, um, so it's it's not nearly as much fun in my opinion, um, just because it has science. Like there's yeah. there's numbers and statistics and professionals and everything. Mm. But okay, yeah. So the last Friday in January book club for Ten Days in a Madhouse with mm-hmm. or written by Nellie Bly. And if you're gonna watch along, those are the seasons that you'll want to be caught up on. Yes. Or maybe we'll get you interested in it. Hopefully, such a good show. Yeah. So good. Well, last week, to catch up, we had two episodes. In episode 12, we talked about the history of wishing wells, the dark history and rumors surrounding some beloved children's fairy tales, and we took a quick and creepy stop at the Island of the Dolls, my nightmare. Yeah, all those (laughs) eyes staring at you. It's like when you walk down, when you used to walk down that aisle at Toys R Us when that was still a thing, and like all the dolls that had the sensors would like turn on as you walked past. That's creepier than any ghost story to me. Oh, yeah. Episode 13 was probably one of my favorite episodes yeah. so far. It was a special compilation of 13 facts and stories that were too short to be a full episode, but still deserved to yeah. be told. Butter, pink butter. Writing alligators. Crimes against butter. <laughs> we're pretty confident that this is what we'll do each time there's a Friday the 13th now. Release an extra episode of 13 of our favorite facts we learned while researching and writing. If you remember back to our first episode, we explained a little bit how Friday the 13th work, and one thing we learned is that there aren't very many in no. the year. 2020, unfortunately, only has two, but we've already started compiling our list And for one it. of them involves hippos. Yes, it does. Lot, actually, hippos are probably going to be more than one. Yeah. Because we have two or three stories about hippos. Yeah. That'll be our uh, the version of the... The, the triangle I did between the oleomargarine axe and then the pink butter and Genghis oh, yeah. Khan. <laughs> so this week is a little bit different. Usually we record earlier in the week, but it's actually uh, Friday afternoon and we are going to be releasing the episode right after we finish recording and then we're going to be diving into dinner because it's, it's my, my birthday. birthday. Uh, yes. So when we realized that this week's episode would be releasing on my birthday, it was totally up to me for what topic we were going to pick and it's really tough. Like holy shit, how do you narrow down all the things that fascinate you that you want to tell people about to just right. 3? And they have to be related somehow. So, I mean, we started a podcast because we like weird stuff and stories and information. And there were so many good contenders and runner-ups for this episode that I made a list of them. So that way I can go back and visit them to make sure they get told at some time because I I still enjoy those Mm -hmm. topics so much. So part of the list that I made just to give an idea of uh, what you might be able to look forward to next year... Uh, the Titanic. Of course. And the sinking of the Titanic. 
Um, I will specifically talk about the Mythbusters episode, too, because I love Jamie and Adam. I've never seen We that. never watched it. They proved that Jack could have fit on the door. Of course he could Yeah, of course have. he she could have, right? She was a bitch. <laughs> she didn't even try. She was just like, oh, okay, bye. Yeah. Like, mm, that's true love, I guess. <laughs> and then Ancient Egypt. We've briefly mentioned them in a couple of episodes. I know we talked about makeup yeah. at one point, um, but... Basically, everything about ancient Egypt is fascinating to me, but there's a big emphasis on medicine, inventions, magic, and superstitions. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, their culture's recognition of death and the way that they handled death mm-hmm. is just so fascinating to me because I feel like we couldn't be further from it if we tried. Right. Our culture is horrible about death. Um, And I think that's part of what's so fascinating. And, you know, maybe the idea is that you can learn how to not be afraid of dying, you know? Yeah. But, um... Worshipping cats. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, True crime. Of course. So, I had so many... That's what... Oh, I just remembered what we were doing for a hotel, and it's so exciting, and I caught myself before I said anything. Okay, so this is where the true crime comes into play. There's so many criminals that I'm really interested in Mm -hmm. over the ages. We talked about Burke and Hare, which is one of my absolute favorites, and it's very different from something like Bundy or or Gacy or something. Um, But, I I mean, there's a lot of them that I really like. Murderino at heart forever. Um, I mean, Rochester... Let's... Two two Rochesters had uh, two of the most deadly streets in the country. Yes, yeah. Every year they publish like a list of 10 or every other year or whatever mm-hmm. and we have like 2 to 3 it fluctuates. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then there's Lewis Lewis. Yeah, no. It looks like Lois. <laughs> Lewis and Clark's Expedition, which is what I was secretly hoping they were going to have made into more of those Funko History Pops. Because they have the the crossing of the Delaware. Which, who wants that? I don't want that. That's so like, boring. Washington history, can make it cool. Yeah. Well, Lewis and Clark probably doesn't isn't considered cool by most people. Well, no, I mean, but... most people want to be like, oh, you want to hear about this epic adventure where these friends trek to return stolen jewelry <laughs> to a volcano? Um, no. <laughs> nope. And then we have epidemics and outbreaks and diseases and typhoid Mary, plague doctors, Dr. Jon Snow and the Broad Street Pump. So many good disease stories coming up. So many. And then quack medicine. Of course. We talked about it a little when we talked about, like, the unicorn horn and the bazaars and the chalices and the magic Mm -hmm. wands and everything. But there was, for people who aren't familiar with it, an actual, like, snake oil medicine fad that was very popular in the early 1900s here. And they sold just the weirdest fucking shit and then for like it, mm, mm, they would sell. So they used to put cocaine in everything. Yep. Like so, for one example, I mean, you've got Coca Cola, you've got Coca Wine, which was a big thing. Mm-hmm. You would have cocaine in um, hair restoration, like oh. stuff for men. Um, they would put the cocaine in toothpaste, um, children's products. I mean, it oh was God. it was they would take whatever was like a fad, like drug or substance at the time, and then process it and market it in ways that applied to every possible 
like, venue to get them to those customers. Mm. So, um, you know, that's why they put it in so many different products. So that way there was something for everyone. And a lot of the times there were claims that it contained, like, really dangerous things like belladonna or lead, mercury. Mm. Like, all of these things throughout time have been used as cosmetics or for remedies and everything. And, uh... It's just really fascinating, especially since most of those didn't have the ingredients they claimed to have. Right. Because it would kill you, or they were really expensive, which was the big thing. Yeah. All those were super expensive. So, and then there's the topics that we've already talked about that I love so much. Arsenic. Mm Mm-hmm. Everywhere, wallpaper, dresses, St. Helena's and Napoleon Bonaparte, and... Or arsenic wallpaper. And then we've got Burke and Hare and the Resurrectionists, like I mentioned. And then Spiritualism and the Fox Sisters, which I think I really like that because it's local, too. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's really neat. And we're going to talk about another local famous person later this episode. And then, let's be honest, there's all things Victorian era that are just, I love everything about it. Mm -hmm. So. Well, this week, we have some fun new stuff. Yeah, so this week... I was tasked with the challenge of picking my topic, and I wanted to find something that had a little bit of everything, so I went with the 1893 Columbian Exposition. Yes. So, by 1888, there had been multiple successful world celebration expositions across the globe, and of course the United States wanted in. New York City, D.C., St. Louis, and Chicago all applied to host to the next World's Exposition, part of a celebration for the 400th anniversary of Columbus's voyage. Boo. Mm, boo. When it came, what it came down to was money, of course, mm-hmm. and, and connections. Lots and lots of money. When the president of a prominent bank stepped in to offer extra funding, favor swung their way. So Chicago mm. it was. Yep. The exposition would go on to cover over 600 acres containing 200 new buildings, along with canals and other water architecture, and include more than 50,000 exhibitors and 65,000 exhibitors. And I thought our craft and art festivals and stuff here were big. Can you imagine? No. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. That sounds so overwhelming. Yeah. A ticket to the fair cost 50 cents for adults. I think we said 25 25. cents for, like, teenagers and stuff. And then free admission for kids under six. People came from all over the world and commuted from all over the country. The sensationalism so completely swept people up that it was not uncommon for people to remortgage their houses to free up enough spending to make their way to Chicago. It's, it's like scraping pennies to get to take your kids to Disney these days. Yeah. But well, a much, yeah. I mean, this, even this was more expensive than Disney. So yeah. just for perspective... Yeah. Although it would only be open for six months, the number of attendees exceeded 27 million people. And to put this into perspective, the United States at the time was home to 63 million people. And there was also an economic depression at this time. That's why people had to remortgage houses, because there's no no spending Uh, money. Is there burial money? Yeah. Yeah. So... This construct, what they did was they created what would be a park to rival New York City. And that's Mm -hmm. where this essentially took place. And in it, these buildings that were built specifically for the exposition focused on symmetry and splendor. And the white stucco and use of new electric lights gave the city, I'm sorry, gave the fair its well-known nickname, the White City. So it was this big, bold, bright, beautiful, white pure, you know, crisp buildings in this Mm. park. They really, I mean, 
they really turned it into something spectacular. Yeah. And it was built with grandeur in mind, and it was planned as an example of what they considered as an ideal city. Faragoers would leave splendid Chicago to go back to their hometowns and see the rough juxtaposition, and it would make them want their city to be beautiful, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And it would catch on. And later, it would be known creatively titled the City Beautiful Movement, which can really be credited with the development of art in society. And at this point in time is where we see an increased emphasis on the importance of aesthetics and then also historic preservation. So we're not only keeping up the aesthetic appearance but we're registering you know historic buildings and we're right. keeping them up to the standards so that mm-hmm. way they withstand time and then according to this movement the livability of a city directly affected the health and well-being of the people living there which i can understand yeah. to an extent so the biggest and most well-known ride attraction sightsee i mean it was kind of a little bit of everything that existed at the chicago world's fair which is kind of like the layman's term Mm -hmm. for the fair and that's what we'll use because it's easier and also tells you what the fuck we're talking about so at the chicago world fair the ferris wheel was created and unveiled and it was fucking huge like terrifyingly huge It was designed to compete with the Eiffel Tower, and the wheel was over 250 feet high. It had 36 cars for passengers, of which each could accommodate 60 people for a total of over 2,000 passengers at full capacity. Which just doesn't even seem like it should be a thing. That is so many people on a giant wheel of death. Death, yep. Metal death. That sounds like a badass name. (laughs) And at 50 cents per ticket, so you paid 50 cents to get in the door, Mm -hmm. and then you paid 50 cents again at the Ferris wheel, 1.4 million people rode that Ferris wheel at 50 cents a ticket. And it went around for two rotations. It was... Also, uh, kind of like a little sneaky thing on their part, too, because the people that were at the top of the Ferris wheel would be able to see over everything and see the festival, so that way things would draw them in and they'd want to get down and they'd want to go and explore because there was so much to see, and it gave them a really good view. But to put it into perspective, um, because we're gawking at this ticket price, it would be uh, $14, Approximately, yeah. Yeah, to ride this Ferris wheel after spending the, like, 45 or $50 to get into Darien Lake. Which, fuck that, because you would have to pay me to get on a Ferris wheel anyways. Yeah. I love roller coasters, but there's just something about just swinging there with an open, like, nope. I'm good. <laughs> I'm okay. I'll stay in the ground. Thanks, though. You can join me, remember? Yeah. I'm over here on a bench with my book because yep. you're up on a roller coaster. Drinking some lemonade. Mm-hmm. The construction and building of the fair required over 40,000 skilled workers. I cannot imagine what that looked like because it went up rather quickly. I Mm -hmm. mean, quickly to me, what I would have predicted. I can't imagine what it looked like. There must have just been waves of people there nonstop. Mm -hmm. So the Midway, which would basically be like Main Street USA uh, for the fair, was an avenue over one mile long that was lined on both sides with vendors, exhibits, food, and everything in between. You could experience the past and the future at the same time. You got to see the familiar and the exotic. And then it was all topped off with music and culture. 
And racism, because we can't leave that out. No, it's always prevalent, unfortunately. The first woman who graduated with an architecture degree from MIT was involved in the planning and was responsible for designing the woman's building, which was the only building designed by a woman. Uh, I have so much of an issue with that. But we'll move on because there was a building at the Chicago World Fair called the Agricultural Building. And in it, you could go and see a 1,500-pound chocolate Venus de Milo. That's so much chocolate. So much chocolate. 1,500 pounds of chocolate. I wonder what they did when the fair ended with that chocolate. Were they like, all right... This is what we've been waiting for. Did they just, just like, like take digging. like a saw to be the <laughs> Venus de Milo and you want elbow, right. forearm? <laughs> so then we had an electricity building where Nikola Tesla introduced his invention of the fluorescent light bulb. The boys went to the Rochester Museum and Science Center recently and got to play in the Tesla coil that's there. I don't think I've ever been. Yeah, you get to go into the cage, and then the, the electricity bounces around you. Ah, yeah, it's cool. really, it's crazy. I always love when there's stuff in our episodes that connects to something local. And so part of what gave the White City its name was the over 90,000 lights that they used to light up the fair, and the, the rate of power usage for those lights was three times what an average night and any other day in Chicago would have been. Which is crazy. That's so much. So much light. All of the buildings at the fair were designed to look permanent, but in fact be temporary, able to be broken down and moved. The material used in construction, called staff, gave the buildings a marble-like appearance. The building that was fireproof to contain art exhibits was turned into a museum that houses tens of thousands of items on display today that you can still visit. Which is and so see. cool. Yeah. I think when the fair closed, they collected like 5,000 items or something from the fair mm -hmm. to turn in and put in the museum. Which is awesome. Yeah. And then many of the exhibits and exhibitors sought to dominate the senses, and the entire fair was later said to have been sensory overload for the fairgoers, but in a positive way. For example, off the midway was a baker's and chocolates pavilion where you could stop and be served hot chocolate by servers wearing cultural-based costumes. So it's really, they're engaging all of your senses. Right. You've got the music, you've got the food, you know. Mm-hmm. I want to be served hot chocolate. Me too. The fair took place only 28 years after the conclusion of the Civil War. This time period, which was known as the Gilded Age, was characterized by industrial growth, mass immigration, and class violence. The fair was seen as the first unified effort of the country as a whole, yet, so there's many issues with that. Despite exhibits and performances to recognize Germany, Ireland, Cairo, Native Americans, Algerian belly dancers... But there was no recognition of the more than 8 million African Americans living in the United States. Yeah, I left out on purpose. Yeah. So this is where the Rochesterian and civil rights leader Frederick Douglass attended the fair to speak on their behalf. He was ridiculed for his Colored People's Day exposition until he spoke. After that, the exposition was the largest reconciliation. Rec oh my goodness. Reconciliatory. Yeah, that one. <laughs> since the Civil War. Yeah, I mean, when I was reading it and they say, and then he spoke, that's exactly what they mean because he was such um, a passionate, persuasive public speaker. Mm. Um, but 
that was I just thought that was super cool. Like Absolutely. you go, Frederick Douglass. So then the US government issued the country's first postcards and commemorative stamps along with two new coins. The half dollar featured Columbus, unsurprisingly, <laughs> and, and the quarter featured Queen Isabella of Spain, who was the financial backer of Columbus's trip, and it also made her the first woman to be featured on a US coin. Which is cool, but also like why has it been so fucking long? That was 1893. Right. Weren't they going to be putting Harriet Tubman? They're replacing on the f- Andrew five dollar bill. Oh, is it? I don't know. I don't. I can't remember. I don't either. Dead presidents. They all look. <laughs> they're all old. They, they're all white dudes. <laughs> yep, they look exactly the same. Well, hopefully that happens. Yeah. So some fun stuff. They had Venetian gondolas, a Norwegian Viking ship, a Japanese dragon bow. There were replicas of Columbus's boats, the Nina, the Pinta, the Santa Maria, which was really cool. It really... Full size. Like, you could could go ride them. They Mm -hmm. would... Yeah. It transported you to another place. Yeah. I mean, like, that sounds so cool, but also I just want to, like, stick my foot up Columbus's ass. Right. But... At the fair, because I won't get into that rant, there are there were over one and a half miles of lunch counters. That's how big of a part of the fair food was. I want to be there. Food fair food is delicious. Mm-hmm. So bad for you. Mm-hmm. Some Poutine. other. F- mm-hmm. <laughs> Some other fun things. Um, visitors could watch donkey races. They had boat and swim races in the lagoon. There was an international tug of war, tightrope walking, and parachute drops. There were boxing matches, jugglers, and even Harry Houdini performed there. Yeah, he performed in Rochester once. Because Chicago experienced a massive fire only 22 years before the fair, the building that contained the art exhibits that was built fireproof would eventually go on to become the Chicago Art Museum. Which makes sense. Yeah, definitely. This fair is where Pabst Beer was introduced and took home the Blue Ribbon. That's where that comes from. Yeah, apparently. I wasn't anticipating learning that. And the fair is said to have inspired Al Frank Baum's Wizard of Oz. And also Disney, but I don't know how. Hmm. I don't know. This is where people experience some first, like shredded wheat, juicy fruit gum, diet carbonated soda, and Aunt Jemima's pancake mix and syrup, and brownies. Mm -hmm. Thank you, World Fair. That's so interesting that it took that long for brownies to be made. Right? Then there was elongated coins which i didn't know that that's what those squished pennies were really called yeah i didn't know yeah that's really cool um they made their debut i bet they're really i don't know i feel like those are timeless i feel like that's probably something people are super excited to see we we have some that we collected from the zoo yeah the kids would go yeah yeah and thank you fair the first fully electrical kitchen with an automatic dishwasher was displayed mm-hmm. thank you we had yeah. a we had a place without a dishwasher once i don't ugh, it no. was so such a bad decision <laughs> so what also happened at the fair and one of the reasons why this is the topic that we pay, or that i picked is because one of the most notorious and mysterious crimes in history occurred at the same time as the mm-hmm. Chicago's World Fair, and that's H.H. H. Holmes and his murder house. So the construction of the house is a familiar tale if you know about the Winchester house. Mm-hmm. I don't know how familiar you are with the Winchester house. Not super. The <clears throat> widow of... Um, sorry, the widow of Winchester... 
automatic rifle, whatever, yeah. whatever, um, continued to add on to her house. So to escape, she was, I think she had some stuff going on, but she continued to add to her house until she died. And so when I read about H.H. Holmes's house, that's exactly what it reminded me of because no one really knew the full layout of his house only he did because he would fire workers before they learned too much about the house um and so there's just a constant stream of different skilled professionals there blueprints for the house included 51 doors that opened into walls a hundred windowless rooms stairs with no destination and a suspiciously sized body chute that led to an incinerator which was housed in the basement along with two furnaces and that was also greased greased yeah the it was, the chute was greased oh which, yeah not sketchy at all yeah it's That's just normal. totally normal to toss out their shoots massive globs of grease <laughs> uh, and so he has a medical connection that we'll talk about in a little while, but it's believed that some of his victims' skeletons were harvested and sold to medical schools in the area, and he uses connections from medical school to do that. And in the basement was where all of this was supposed to have happened, mm-hmm. and throughout the house there were acid pits that would, you know, completely get rid of the bodies, um... But this is part of the mystery. This longtime con man showed up in Chicago one day, because he wasn't a native Chicagoan, after fleeing New Hampshire in the middle of the night to avoid a debt he owed to his landlord for his lodging. Like, what the fuck? You leave a state in the middle of the night. Like, he didn't even pay for his ticket to Chicago. He convinced somebody else to pay for it. How? What? I don't even understand. Like... This, I feel like there are so many connections in his personality that we could make to other serial killers Absolutely. and maybe understand it a little bit more, but there's we really don't know. So not only was Holmes a con man, that's one thing we do know, but he was a swindler, he was a womanizer, and he was a bigamist. I think he had 1.3 wives all at the same time. Yeah, I think he was technically married to all of them when he died. Yeah. Technically. Yeah, technically, I what whatever that means right. and holmes isn't even his real name it was an alias he created and used to continue without the debt and creditors catching up to him which makes sense why there's so much we don't know about yeah him. we didn't know his real freaking name for so much of yeah him. well they didn't no, well they didn't and, and you know and we talk about so many fires at this point too in time because we're yeah. right back where we started you know multiple episodes um And there's so many fires, and I bet that there have probably been stuff that was destroyed over the years, too, Mm -hmm. because it was just so common back then. Yeah. We're going to be talking about homes again for the American Horror Story stuff, so this is just some general background information on him. So, one of the things about him is it was believed that he was bullied as a young child, which, for somebody that that grows up violent, isn't, you know, very surprising. Yeah, it's one of the, isn't uh, cruelty, oh backwards i was thinking of the mcdonald triad oh yeah and one there was one specific incident where his bullies forced him to confront a human skeleton which was something that he was scared of which who wouldn't be if you yeah. were a kid you know but he later claimed that the encounter cured him of his phobia and it started his interest in anatomy because he found the human bones which could yeah which could have been okay but he had to be yeah. a really sadistic fucker right. about it yeah while earning his degree later in life, classmates of Holmes remembered that his fascination with dissection seemed unnatural and was unnerving. 
He graduated medical school, sat for and passed the bar to work in a pharmacy in Chicago, and somehow pushed his way into the life of a pharmacist and his family. He was hired to help run the pharmacy. And then shortly thereafter, that couple was never seen again. It's going to be a common theme throughout the tale of H.H. Holmes. From this point on, people, especially young women around Holmes, were known to go missing. He would wave off inquiries and questions, giving lame excuses for their absence, if he said anything at all. There were at least two accounts we stumbled on in research of Holmes attending the fair with company, a different young woman each time. Only Holmes knew the truth, leaving us with few facts and a lot of questions and suppositions. Hell, he wasn't even arrested for murder. He ended up being arrested for stealing a horse. It's like when criminals get caught. Who what? That one that they caught because he had, like, a tail light out or something, something or didn't use yeah. a blinker. Like, just the craziest happenstance that mm-hmm. kicked the series of events off. Yeah. Wasn't it? I think it was John Wayne Gacy. A police officer used his bathroom, and he recognized the scent of, like, decaying bodies. Oh. Yeah. That's, that doesn't surprise right. me. Yeah. Anyways. Oh, man. Where was I? So we know that he gave multiple contradictory accounts of his crimes, and was paid what would today equal $215,000 to tell his story, which he changed every time. Yeah. The third floor he built on to his murder house after the announcement of the World Fair, or exposition, sorry, was supposed to be used as a hotel for guests, but there were no records of a single paying customer at any point in Wh- the fair. Which makes it so difficult to tell how many crimes he's actually guilty of, because we don't even have a realistic guess as Mm. to how many like people he lured in and how many people disappeared or were never seen again and he killed them or like maybe they you know they fled i don't we don't really know i mean it's most likely that he killed everybody but you know we're pre-1900 this is very early crime we don't know shit about solving crimes Mm -hmm. um just yeah it's sorry it's crazy there's so much more to his character but like you said we'll be talking about him again in another episode and maybe this will be just enough to like get people intrigued that they go out and learn a little bit more because there's a whole life insurance scam that like we skipped over with a friend that he made a friend quote con man friend um he would buy and sell real estate and like his wife's names and then his mother-in-law's names Mm -hmm. to keep the creditors from him it's there's a lot of stuff going on, and none of it is very, uh, doesn't solve any answers for me. Yeah, no. So, unfortunately, Holmes took all his secrets to the grave. He confessed to the murder of 27 people and was sentenced to death. After he was executed, he was buried in a grave 10 feet underground, which was filled with concrete, and was a special request from Holmes himself to keep resurrectionists from exhuming and selling his body. And I'm really shocked that anybody let him make that request. Agree to him, yeah. You'd uh, think, like, you killed a bunch of people. Screw like you on. Like Burke and Hare. Yeah. Yeah, they, they used the body for a public dissection to, yeah. you know, it was education, but also to show yeah. a message. Yeah. So... They have some sources that claim he was responsible for up to 200 deaths, but we don't have any evidence Mm -hmm. for this claim, and it's likely that there was some media sense, sense, uh, 
<laughs> oh, why can't I think of that word? Sensation. Mm. Um, where, you know, maybe they started to brag. Maybe the numbers climbed just a little bit, made that paper look better. You know, we don't yeah. really know how media played into this. And it happens every time there's news of a serial killer in the newspaper. Oh, always. So, and then... It just seemed somewhat appropriate for this show. The end of the fair. So after Holmes and all of that unfortunate events, we have a midsummer smallpox outbreak in Chicago. And then two days before the ceremonies, the closing ceremonies for the fair were supposed to take place, the mayor was assassinated. And they used the closing ceremonies to give him a service instead of the closing you know, parades and everything. And then shortly after the fair closed, a fire broke out and destroyed a lot of the buildings. I didn't even know those three things about the end of the fair, but I've always been interested in the fair. Mm -hmm. And I read them like, oh, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like, (laughs) there couldn't have been anything else at the end of that fair that would have fit better with this podcast if we had tried. Throw in some disease real quick. Yeah, right? I know. That's crazy. Yeah, so that's, I mean, that's, it's kind of like a little teaser about the fair. We just wanted mm-hmm. to do a short episode. Yeah. And not skip this week. We have a short episode coming next week, too. Because it's Christmas. Yeah. We've got family stuff going on. we got some fun things planned mm-hmm. to talk about. We're gonna... We're going unconventional with Christmas very, stuff. Yeah, like, think Krampus. Yeah. And Belschnickel yes. and uh, ghosts. What was it? sausage stealers <laughs> now you have to listen to next week because you're gonna be like what is she talking about who's stealing sausage <laughs> so i think that's uh we didn't i think that's all we have for today but we didn't have a question picked out no we didn't i think <clears throat> excuse me i think if i had gone to the fair out of all of the things that I have read about that they've had, I think I probably would have been the most excited for the new foods. Mm-hmm. I feel like chewing gum would probably be like fruity chewing gum must have been a big deal I like for the first time, too, you know? Yeah. I mean, we, we kind of take gum for granted because it's just so common. Normal, yeah. Yeah, but when it wasn't a thing. Yeah, that's true. And diet carbonated soda is a really cool yes. thing, too. There were some other um, things that they attributed to the popularity of the food um i didn't have this part written out so i'm trying to remember it off the top of my head they attributed a lot of food successes that were at the fair to like the birth of that food group like hot dogs but a lot of those foods had already been around for a while they just had never been um never been in a situation where they were exposed to the public like that it's on such a large scale Mm -hmm. so that's why we didn't know that you know germany had been eating sausages and hot dogs for 40 50 years before the world fair so next week's christmas Mm january is going to be prohibition we have i think we only have two episodes left this year including today or no that's right we um we have our christmas episode and then the week after christmas our next episode comes out on January 1st. Yeah. Yep. That's crazy. Yeah. So we, I got to get to writing about bootleggers and yes. hopefully we'll get some good stories. 
people can comment or send in. There's always, like, family bootlegging stories. Yeah. Ask your family. If they say no, they're liars. Everyone (laughs) has a bootlegger in their family somewhere, because almost everyone, well, I can't say that, actually, but I feel like a lot of people have a lot of Irish and or Scottish heritage. Definitely. So, yeah. All right. Well. Meg's fun birthday episode. Yeah, we're going to get this finished, tack on the music, go have some dinner. Yeah. And then sleep. Because yes. <laughs> we are adults. It's, yes, because we're adults. And I, <laughs> I got to do that Hillary Swank thing again. The, you know, when your 30-year-old body oh. doesn't act like your 29-year-old yeah. body used to. <laughs> Just a little bit more every year. It's swell. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for tuning in. And if you want more podities in your life, you can join us back here next Friday to learn some new odd things. In the meantime, you can find us on social media. We have a Patreon <clears throat> group that we would love for you to join. For as little as a dollar a month, you get access to the Podatorium, which is like a little club for fans of the show. You get weekly episode posts, special content, like extra audio clips, and sometimes like occasional giveaways. Yeah, which was supposed to happen last weekend. I apologize. Was it last weekend? Yeah. I apologize. This is, I just mailed out like the last batch of packages and orders from, for the shop Mm -hmm. for the year. And it's only now like that I can start to think about like, oh, crap, we have to make food for Christmas, you know, right, that kind yeah. of stuff. So, you know, that the podcast will take a backseat to huge things like that every once in a while because we're just a two-person show. Yeah. You know, and well, it happens. we will be doing it soon. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So we're on Instagram. Add an ode to the odd. And Twitter. At Podities underscore. And Facebook. At Podities. And if you type in Podities anywhere and it comes up with a cell phone <laughs> accessory, accessory keep, keep looking. That's definitely not us. Nope. And if you enjoyed this episode, you could please consider referring the show to a friend or a family member, somebody else who likes weird stuff, mm-hmm. somebody who you might want to gross out. Yeah. It's like our gross <laughs> food museum. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> If you have a shory, a shory, a shory, a shory, if you have a story you want to share or a topic request, literally anything, feel free to shoot us an email at podities at an ode to the odd.com. Podities is written and researched by Meg McGibbon and Callie Ayers. Until next time, seek out the strange and learn something new. that we I forgot that I had to do that my brain is mush I just told you that I mean (laughs) all those freaking Christmas packages I don't know if I'm gonna be quick enough hmm Hmm. you could pause it I could pause it but then I might never turn it back on that's true and how would I pick a name it's been a long week. It has. It's five days. I very much struggle. Five days before one. Christmas. Our caffeine, I think, ran out a long time ago. Yes. Caffeine. So, what was yours? What was your title suggestion? Prepare for the sausage snatchers. <laughs> <laughs> I had a feeling that that had to be with it. You said that, and you picked up your pen pretty quickly I did, afterwards. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right. Well, we'll be back to... Yeah. Next week, I'm going to start thinking of the episode title suggestion already because I need to apparently step up my game. Okay, yeah. I think, yeah, we've picked mine the past couple times. So. Yeah. 
Well, we had a double episode, and each of us had one pick. Oh yeah, because and they were both they were both mean girls. Yeah, but yeah, we have we have picked a lot of yours. I think I've snorted a few times. It wasn't really (laughs) something I was ready to share with the world, but we're gonna go relax. Yes. Not blow out some birthday candles. If you sing to me, I'll punch you in the fucking face. (laughs) Love you. All right, so we'll see everybody back. The episode might air early next week. Yeah. Depending on how much time Cal and I can squeeze in mm-hmm. in the in-between before she's on vacation for work. Yeah. So if we can get it out early, we will. That way you can listen to it on Christmas or yeah. listen to it to prepare for Christmas. And if not, if all else fails, you can just count on it coming out sometime next <laughs> Ah!